podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouting on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined us all... Always, even, by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? <laughs> I'm good, thank you. Nice to be back from the start for this one. Yes, yes, nice to have you in for a Champions League game. Liverpool versus Benfica in the second leg. We'll get to that. We're going to start with a question from the Discord. Now, KO99 has asked us if we could do a pod making Spurs title challenges. I think we will do that one, um, but just not today because that's going to take a bit longer but Dell has asked a quick question regarding Everton if they do get relegated are there any players on their main squad or in their under 23s that you'd be interested in I will allow you first go with this Carol because I'm sure you're very excited to talk about some of these uh, wonderful men in blue we start from the back and and have a little yes no as well yeah. And then a, a bit of a discussion for the ones that we say yes or maybe two. I, I have a feeling it'll be quite quick to start with. Jordan Pickford. No. Asmir Begovic. Absolutely not. On we go. Uh, from the back line, I would consider, depending on obviously if any of our current lots do want to leave, Mr. Godfrey, depending on yeah. um, price tag. But I would need to see quite a significant improvement on him uh, to not be anything more than a fourth choice and cover at both fullbacks. And potentially cover at holding midfield where he was originally playing for York. Um, he would be one. I like Michael Enko, but I think he's a left back in a back, or a left side centre back in a back mm-hmm. three. I don't think he's actually a left back at all. Um, Yeri Mina, if again, if he could stay fit, you might consider him as a backup. I would to Virgil now. Huh? now simply because he's twenty seven. Now that that seems to have happened without anybody. True, he has all. sort of twenty seven. Michael Keane, I, I'm putting a firm no on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mason Holgate, uh, no. Nathan Patterson is. They'd probably be able to keep him even in the championship, but as a backup to Trent, Nathan Patterson would be an interesting one that I would like. Yeah, I, I, to be fair, I do think that you know a season. Cause he's not obviously had a great start, obviously with injury and all the rest of it. So I think a season in the second tier wouldn't be the absolute worst for him, with the expectation obviously that they come straight back up and he'd be well established as first choice by then. Because Seamus Coleman by that time would be what sixty two something like that. Um, so yes, they could definitely do a lot worse than keeping hold of him and making him one of the pillars that they would have to rebuild around. And maybe they kind of need to do that anyway if they stay yeah. up, you know. Yeah, they do. They need to make massive decisions this summer 
and one of them needs to be to uh, to remove Frank Lampard and hire a real football manager. But we'll move into midfield because uh, I'm assuming neither of us have any real interest in the aforementioned Seamus Coleman or Jared Brantwaite. Uh, so we'll move into midfield. Uh, can I interest you in a little bit of Abdoulaye Dekoure? No, not 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 even a little bit. No. <laughs> um, if Alan was five years younger, I'd have some interest. He, however, is not. And he has aged drastically since joining Everton, so he'd be a no for me. Uh, what about Fabian Delph? Or can I interest you in a more exciting pronunciation of his name of Fabian Delph, which Mark and Keown insisted on calling him at the weekend? No comment. <laughs> um, Alex Awobi? I like Awobi. I've said this before. I don't think he's Liverpool calibre, though. Um, I, I think he's definitely uh, been quite a key player in their recent couple of games revival. Very good at the weekend. Yeah. Good game um, at the weekend. I, th- I think using him in a much more central position, something I've said before. He's not a playmaker 10, but I really like you know the ability that he has to drive forward with the ball quite aggressive in making challenges he's he's a team-centric player I think and he's better through the middle where he can drive into space and all the rest of it so I prefer the role that he's being used in now but no I wouldn't take him at Liverpool One of your favourite players Andre Gomes Go away Andre Gomes is to midfielders what Unai Emery is to managers in the world of Carl Matches just a firm no um Tom Davies, if he was still 19, he'd have some interest, but he's never developed at all. Uh, he desperately needs to leave this, this summer. Um, and that's basically all the midfielders that they have, which is really a really strange way. Oh, Jean-Philippe Gabamon? Uh, <laughs> I don't even know where to go at this point with him. He has played... Everton signed him in the summer of 2019. He has played eight times. Five of them were this season. And he was loaned out <laughs> in February. Um, yeah, not not great. Not great. A lot of injuries. A lot of injuries. Good player. A yeah, lot of injuries. higher than when he joined, to be fair. Yeah. He was a, a good signing at the time. It just it hasn't been at all. Right. In attack, um, we'll we leave the bigger ones to last. Uh, Ellis Sims, a young kid. Uh, Delhi Ali, I, I think I, I love Delhi, but he needs to go and get his head right and fall in love with football again because I just don't think it's there. Uh, Cenk Tusen isn't a footballer. Andros Townsend is, I, I would say, between us, we have disparaged him as much as just about anybody over the years. Uh, so I'm guessing he'd be a no, but there are some interesting ones. So Damari Gray as a backup wide player. I mean, I do like him, uh, and I have always said I think he's probably better as a second forward. To be honest, he's had limited outings there for for Leicester, Leverkusen, and now Everton. But when he plays there, I think that that's where he's sharpest. I think he's probably a bit too individualistic, greedy. Call it whatever you want. I think he likes a bit more of the ball than he would have to to be a, a supply line from wide areas, but. If you've got a proper front three where the wide players score, maybe you're, you're looking a bit more towards him for that. But he hasn't really played in the, that kind of a team. So I like him for for the likes of Everton and Leicester. 
as a second forward, but he hasn't really had that much time there. So difficult to say that he would be a good fit, but again, I think he's one that they should just be looking to completely build around given what they paid for him and the potential upside for him. Agreed. Agreed. I do think he's he can play a big part in the future. Um, Richarlison. I wouldn't have him at Liverpool, but I do like Richarlison as a player. And again, I, I like him as a, a centre-forward centre rather than a, a wide man. Rather than wide. See, I'm the same. I think if we'd gotten him from Watford as the kind of you know long-term Bobby successor, I think he could have been developed into a hell of a player. But it's very hard to separate the personality from the player. Now, maybe the personality is strictly an Everton thing. I, I don't know. You'd have to ask Watford fans if he was a complete bell end when he was there as well. But when I think of Richarlison, before I think of anything as a football, I just think he's a bell end. So it, it would be a, a firm no on him. Nothing to do with his talent because I do think there's a, there's a real player there. Dominic Calvert Lewin. I know he's ill fitting to how we play, but if we did want to change things up a little bit. He could be an interesting fit. And he would absolutely feast on the crosses of Trent and Andy Robertson. I am not as high on Calvert-Lewin overall. I, I think he had obviously a very, very good hot streak in terms of the goals that he plundered last season. But I did bring this up at the time when we were playing them a couple of times. They were all of a really, really similar nature. And I'm not convinced he adds enough outside of that to entertain him like you know we've we've been used to a very specific type of forward and I think Jota is a better finisher and even in the air it seems in the penalty box than him and I think there's not enough additional stuff from Calvert-Lewin to justify a the price tag that he would definitely carry yeah and uh, then obviously the, the fact that he's got to fit somewhere in the team as well the price tag would be enormous, you'd have to imagine, because, you know, he's he's got a, an English passport. So, you know, you're probably looking at 60 million or something. I, I actually think he's going to end up at Arsenal this summer, to be honest. I think they'll swing and miss at the, the big striker targets like Nunes, like Isak, uh, like Osimian. I don't think any of them will have any interest in joining a Europa League team. And I think they might end up with him. And I'll be really interested to see how that works, considering the players they'll have around them, Saka, Odegaard, Smith, Rowe, Martinelli. A lot of talent, a lot of creativity. But in that team, if you're the number nine and you're not getting 20 a season, then you're not working out because in, with that amount of creativity around you, you should bang 20 a season. The last one then is a really interesting one because... Again, when I think of him, I just think he's a little bell end. But he is, he does look a very good player. Is Anthony Gordon. Yeah. I like Gordon a lot, mate. I think he's... He is he an eight in our team, though? I don't think he's a winger in our team. Uh, he might be a little bit too slight to be an eight, I think. He's 5'11", um, 6 foot, though. He, like, he's, you could maybe work on building him up a little bit. Yeah, I, I actually tried to look uh, not too long ago and see what his um, his weight was, actually. And when I went and looked on who scored, first of all, they have him registered as zero kilos, which is definitely a problem to play in midfield. <laughs> <clears throat> um, I, I really like Gordon. I really do. And I think he's 
he's a real terrier, basically, on and off mm. the ball, isn't he? And he's he's quite happy to play both sides, both feet as well, which is important. Um, two big issues there is obviously, one, he's been there since he was 11, and I'm pretty sure he was a Everton supporter as a kid as well. So I would imagine, even if they went down, he'd be one of the ones who'd be like, I'm taking you back up. I'm going to yeah. be the first choice, and I'm taking you back up. So I don't think it would remotely happen that he would come to Liverpool. But as a player, I would definitely be keen to take a much much closer look at where he could fit in the side do you know what's funny when I look at the, the other players they have there are Rondon and El Ghazi El Ghazi they don't own Rondon it's four years since he was a useful player but when you start to look at their at that group you, you could start to piece together the bones of something different now I, I'm not a fan of Pickford I'd be looking to move him on regardless whether you stay up or go down You'll get good money for him because someone will be stupid enough. Maybe Newcastle will be stupid enough to pay you for him because he's England's number one. But if you could put a back three of, let's say, Ben Godfrey, Yerry Mina and Michael Enko, with Patterson as a right wing back and then buy a left wing back, like, I don't know, Aaron Hickey apparently wants to move back to the UK. Maybe you could get him. Um, Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison up front as a two with Delhi behind them, I think is something that could be very interesting if you can get the right sort of service to them. And Ducouré is one of the midfielders. The problem with that is there's no spot in that for Anthony Gordon. Now, you could argue, obviously, Gordon in over Delhi, and I you can't really make an argument against that over what we've seen, certainly this season. But, like, there is the makings of a decent team there. Not necessarily a good team or a European-caliber team, but a a team that could be comfortable in mid-table with players that they already have. You know, I mean, Alain could be that second central midfielder. You'd want to upgrade on him, but he, he could be that guy. And, you know... You'd only really need to buy in that left wing back, if, even if you kept Pickford. It's not a dreadful squad. It's not a squad as bad as what we've seen this season, I don't think, anyway. No, I, no, I'm no. genuinely stunned that they are where they are. Like, they've got Niels Nkunku, who's a very talented left back. He's on loan at standard the age. They could bring him back and play him there. But like, it is a talented group of players. It's just that well, they had a load of injuries, and now... They just don't seem to have any sort of direction. Even on the weekend against United, they didn't play well at all. Like, United were the better team, and United were absolutely atrocious. But Pickford made some big saves, and then United seemed to get confused about what you were meant to do with the football in the second half. I think Everton's performance was basically better organised than their games previously, and a lot more... Uh, drive and determination to see out the result. You know, there were people throwing themselves in the way of the blocks and doing all the things that sound really good and were actually effective this time, but do make it look exactly what you are, that you don't actually know how to control the game. And that's, that's, they got a long way to go before they get back to being able to do that on a regular basis. And we've done a podcast on Everton before and we didn't really do loads and we suggested that that should be enough to like be a really good starting point to be at the very least mid table. And it it was using quite a lot of the building blocks that they've already put in place. And a few of the transfers that they've made over the last two seasons or so, the ones like Godfrey and now Patterson and that they're good. They are good signings. They are 
key foundation points for the next like five years of the team if you want them to be and if you stay in the league and they want to stay with you obviously but you have to have someone much much better in place to a do the rest of the deals that come in alongside them and b obviously do the actual organization and cohesion on the training ground because so far that has been disturbingly poor i would say i got absolutely hammered by everton fans on twitter before the not the united match what was their one before that Burnley? Uh, yeah, Burnley. Burnley, yeah. Yeah, so it was just after the international break I did one. They had West Ham and Burnley away from home back to back. And I basically put down the numbers and said that Lampard has made them worse. And all I got back was that obviously one Liverpool fan doesn't always talk about loves this, rubbing our faces in it, blah, blah, blah. And the other one was that it's all Benitez's fault. It's not. The numbers were far better under Benitez. They were. Not just points and that, but I mean the flow of the game, the chances created, the calls that they're conceded, just astonishingly poor, and it was horrendous again. It's it's fortunate for them that they have a couple of games against teams who should be good, like Man United, who are not. They're in, in equally a mess at the other end of the table for their own objectives, and they need another result like that still. And they got, I think, a bit lucky as well that Burnley then lost to Norwich which you would mm. probably expect Burnley to at least get a point from after after beating Everton and quite a big result. It's going to be close either way, but um, come on, May in the summer, they need to do things all very, very differently. Yeah, yeah, very, very, very much so. Um, <clears throat> I mean, <clears throat> even just from the league point of view, they're closer to relegation now than they were when Rafa, took, when Rafa left. Um, they've won... What three games under Lampard? Um, they've only won, I think, eight all season. Like they're just—they're not a good team, and and they—they're not well set up. They're not well prepared. It does seem to be very much, uh, you know, like go out and do it for the fans. Like plenty of passion, plenty of rah rah rah. There's a reason their three wins under Lampard have all come at home. In fact, their five wins under Lampard have all come at home. Two in the Cup, Brentford and Boreham Wood, and three in the league, Leeds, Newcastle and United. And that's fine, but they've got, I think, eight games left. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think four or five of them are away, and their home games are, are difficult. So I know they've got Brentford at home, which is one they should win, but their away form is, is atrocious. Uh, and Brentford are playing well again, so who knows? It's going to go down to the wire. If Everton stay up, it'll be because Burnley and Watford just didn't want to stay up. They didn't do enough. They, they've had opportunities. Watford had a very winnable home game at the weekend that would have kept them in the mix. Burnley had a fairly straightforward away game. Norwich are not good, and yet they got completely outplayed by Norwich. And by the way, I'm glad I remembered. Matthias Norman with an absolute peach of an assist because he heard what you said about him uh, recently. So, you know, just keep that in mind. Um, yeah, he's being, <clears throat> being used in a better way, like I said. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, the, the, to answer Dell's question, I think Nathan Patterson and Anthony Gordon are probably the two you'd actually really want from Everton because they're both really young and they can be moulded into what you need them to be. but they're likely the two they would keep above everybody else because of their ages and the fact that Gordon came through the academy, the fact that Patterson's so young. 
they're easier to keep those type of players than it is to keep, you know, any of the others that were maybe bought in for bigger fees or on bigger wages or whatever else may see themselves as Premier League players. Um, right, we have a question from James. Uh, before the City game, you said you would have taken a draw. Is this still the case after the game? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy enough with the draw uh, at the weekend. I'm happy enough with the fact that we took a point and things remain as they were. I'm annoyed at the performance. I think we were let down by a couple of players. I think one player had a particularly poor game that had a knock-on effect on others. I still think City have a more difficult run in than us. I still think I would rather play Tottenham and Wolves at home than West Ham and Wolves away. And I know we've got United and I know we've got Everton. But if we can't beat them at home, we don't deserve to be league champions. Everton are garbage, and I, I was trying to figure this out on two-footed today. I think, Carl, this might be the worst United team since, like, the early 80s. Because even under Moyes, Moyes hadn't sunk a load of money into that team. That was basically the remnants of what Ferguson left over. It was an aging team, but it was one that everybody could see a clear path to just rebuilding. Just go and rebuild this team. You've got De Gea, use him as a building block. There's some other decent players there. You're going to have a good academy. Go and start building a team from from what you've got. But now, eight years later, they've sunk a billion quid into the team. And they are atrociously bad, weighed down by a bunch of big contracts. And I don't think either of them. I don't think. I don't think there's any real clear path to uh, to getting things right there. What What do you think about about just quickly before we move on about United right now? Can you remember a worse United team in your years of watching football? Probably not in terms of starting eleven's performance. I mean, the names are bigger than some of the teams that they had before but not translated into performance level, not translated into anything remotely approaching consistency. I mean, you think of what's needed to to win the title now is probably in the region of 25 wins out of 38, something like that, maybe Mm. even a little bit more. Well, Man United have 14 wins and 17 not wins. Yeah. It's a long, long way away. Like, you know, it's... Like I said, the names are really big. Right? The the people who they have in the squad are big, but their best performers this season as a whole have been the names who are habitually seen as smaller or, or less impressive or whatever. It's the team is broken. To be perfectly honest, from, from looking from the outside at what a team, a real team, is what they do for each other, how they how they perform, how patterns develop in the play, how you can see what is a Liverpool type of goal, what is a Man City type of goal. You can't tell me what is a Man United type of goal unless it's a Ronaldo header or a penalty. There's nothing else that you can really say is the absolute style of play that they have, the the typical build-up play that they have, nothing at all. I mean, their third top scorer is still someone who is no longer a part of the squad mm. for non-footballing reasons. They don't have enough quality they don't have enough character they don't have enough of an identity at the minute 
we did a pod on them not too long ago, and I didn't make a load of signings, but it was much more about getting out players. Uh, it took out the maximum that we were allowed by our own self-imposed rules for the podcast, and I would have done double that because it is huge and bloated and unwieldy and unbalanced and everything else. It's, it is a multi-year thing to fix out that squad, not just for the quality and not just for the style of play, but for the actual mechanics and the mentality of a team as well. Yeah, I agree. Like, I even went back to a post-Ferguson team, the 85 FA Cup winning team, and it was better than this one. It had a bunch of good players, young players like Norman Whiteside, great players in their primes like McGrath, Brian Robson, Gordon Strachan, you know, another young player like Mark Hughes, great players. And this team... I just don't know. I mean, Sancho, I, I, I really like. I really like Bruno. I don't think they know what they've got in Bruno. And I don't know that there's anything else there that I'd actually want to keep as a starter. Like, I, I Varane is on mega money. He's injured too frequently for my liking. The likes of Lindelof and Bailly, their squad players. I think Luke Shaw had a great season when there was no fans there. Aside from that, He's never been up to much. Tellez is okay, nothing more. Delo, okay, nothing more. Juan Basaka is a, a train wreck when the ball comes near him. De Gea's past his best. The midfield are all traffic cones. Pog is on mega money. He'll leave for nothing this summer. That's 200 and odd million gone down the drain. Cristiano's a waste of space. And after that, like Rashford's not. Anywhere close to the player he was two years ago. Martial, same kind of deal. Obviously, there's the Mason Greenwood thing, which, you know, you just put to one side. But I don't know that there's a whole lot else in that team other than Bruno and Sancho that I'd want as part of a starting eleven, or that I could see being part of a starting eleven that wins the Premier League. That means you need nine new starters. Like, that's... That's you're starting over again. You spent a billion quid and that's what you've got. And even at those two, there's big question marks over both of them as well. So I don't know. Right, Isaac Gilding, a classic would you rather, right? You vetoed one, but I'm not having that. So would you rather Salah leaves, we get in in Kunku and Chuameni. Mane leaves, we get Gavi and Gakpo. Or Bobby leaves, we get Basuma, Doku, and J- Jed Spence. The, the last one is the best option in terms of, you know, you keep Salah and Mane, and you add Doku as more depth and attack. You get Basuma in, he'll start in midfield. You get Jed Spence in. So now you've got Doku and Diaz on the left, Mane and Jota through the middle, Salah and Taki and Gordon on the right. Basuma fills a big need in midfield. Spence fills the need at back and right back. That's the best option, but you have vetoed that option. So what about the other two? Would you rather sell Salah and get Nkunku and Chuameni or sell Mane and get Gavi and Gakpo? Right. I would first need Isaac Gilding to let me know that if Mane or Salah leaves, does the other sign a new contract or are we just getting the money from one and still run the risk of losing them for free the following summer? Because that makes a big difference. Well, that's a good question. 
So Isaac, get your response in there quickly, and uh, I will explain further on my eventual. It's gone out of the chat as well. All right. Okay. So I'm I'm going to decide that we don't know either way. Then okay. So I think if that is the case, I don't know whether you could risk losing Salah for free because that's too much money. Yeah, because the but answer would... is is Salmane, isn't it? And yeah, get Gavi have... back, but only yeah, if Salah extends. Gavi is an incredible talent, unbelievable talent, and you can make him whatever you want—a wide forward, an eight. I think that those would be his two best roles. And as a wide forward, he's not a, a Salah type. He's more of a you know a creative, get on the ball, make things happen sort of type, like Iniesta when he played left side of the front three for Barca back way way back when. But between him as a potential longer term eight and Gagpo is obviously another wide forward that gives you two really good build and blocks who can play now but can be a lot better in the next five years or whatever. But if you're only getting the money for Mane and you might lose Salah for free, I think that that works out a lot worse. So I would probably have to take the money which would be on offer for Salah this summer in this theoretical uh, option, which would probably be a lot more. And you would obviously maybe lose Mane for free the following summer, but I think you would get less for Mane this year. And obviously we get Nkunku, who's an unbelievable talent, and many who we've both highlighted as probably the perfect addition if we only get one in central midfield and a couple of mm. them already leave as well. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, the real answer here is you sell Mane and Ox and Taki and whoever else you need to send a sell and you buy in Kunku and Chiumeni, Um and you just leave Gavi with Barca because that's seemingly where he wants to be anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, if it is a case where if it is a case where you're not guaranteed the other one signs the contract, then you sell Salah because you get more in from. For certain, that is definitely the answer. Uh, right, let's move on then. Let's talk quickly before we get to Liverpool Benfica. Let's talk about the other four, sorry, the other three quarterfinals in the Champions League. So Tuesday night, your friend and mine, Unai Emery, brings Villarreal to Bayern Munich with a 1 0 lead. Now, I'm expecting a very typical Unai Emery 2-1 or 3-1 home, uh, sorry, away defeat and Bayern to advance. But what do you make of this game as we head into it? I haven't looked back at most of that game again. I'm very surprised that the score finished 1-0. I think Villarreal definitely had chances enough to probably score another one, but I think Bayern had enough chances to score two of their own. So I think a 1-1 might have felt to, to some watchers that Villarreal were unlucky or they should have won or whatever, but actually on the balance of play, I wouldn't have been surprised to see that match end in a draw more often than not. I would expect a big response from Bayern Munich in the second leg, not just because obviously they want to go on and try and win the Champions League again, but because they did not play that well either at the weekend in the Bundesliga. I think that there are a few things to sort out for Nagelsmann, and I think again probably something that we've seen from him before he's changing around a few things that don't necessarily need to be changed around he's maybe trying to accommodate an extra few things in terms of uh, controlling the game in different ways whereas buying a kind of this machine where you can just plug them in and let them go and they will play as they normally do and win the match he's a little bit hamstrung at the back at the minute i think that's probably the case at the weekend where they had Pavard, Nianzo, Pamecano and Richards that's not really the the quartet you would pick if everybody was available and f uh, fully fit and all the rest of it. No. But he did play with the front 
six, let's say, who you would probably pick to play in the biggest game. Maybe with Kingsley Coleman in for Leroy Sane, depending on you know who you prefer and who you want. But or, or for Gnabry because Gnabry hasn't been great. Yeah, this season. Any, any two from those three, really. Mm. I yeah, I, I still think find it very fair. difficult. I find it very difficult to think anything other than Bayern win on home soil. I find it very difficult to think anything other than Villarreal lose away from home. Yeah, because it's Unai Emery and he just doesn't win away from home. I think the same. I think Bayern will advance. Um, Bayern have been a little bit suspect over the last couple of months. I know they've had a couple of big wins. They beat Freiburg away from home. They did wallop Salzburg. They beat Union Berlin and they beat Goethe Furth. But they're teams they should beat fairly comfortably. But, you know, you look back on the the struggles in the game where Bochum beat them 4-2. The first leg against Salzburg, they weren't good against Eintracht. They weren't good against Leverkusen or Hoffenheim. They weren't good in either of the last two games, uh, Villarreal away or Augsburg at home at the weekend. They are going through a bit of a slump at the minute, but part of that is because Nagelsmann is tinkering, and like you mentioned, he's a bit hamstrung at the back at the moment. Upa Meccano, the the lad is clearly very, very talented, but I do kind of wonder, Carl, if he's not just a fellow who belongs in the middle of a back three with with a bit, bit of pace either side of him, because his turning circle is not good. He's fine when the game is in front of him, but if he gets dragged out to a wide position or he gets turned, bad things tend to happen. And um, I do wonder if that's something Byron will have to address moving forward is maybe going to back three permanently, which Nagelsmann used to do. When he was at Hoffenheim, he largely used a back three, but he's he's wanting to play a back four here, obviously, because they have those those wide options as well as Muller and Lewandowski. So he kind of has to play a front four. Very hard to play a front four if you're playing a back three. Um, right, so we both have Bayern Munich advancing in that one. In the other game on Tuesday night, Real Madrid take a 3-1 advantage into the second leg against Chelsea. Chelsea wiped the floor with Southampton at the weekend and it didn't even look like it was difficult for them. Um, Real did what Real do and won again at the weekend, beating Hatafe 2-0, Casemiro and Lucas Vasquez in a game they dominated, probably should have won by more. They rested um, both Modric and Cruz at the weekend and Ferland Mendy. They will be without Eder Militao. I think he's suspended for this one. But then everybody else is, is fitting around. So it's not out of the realms of possibility that Chelsea go in there and beat them, but I have a hard time seeing Chelsea beat them by two clear goals. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think, especially with the front two that they have, counter-attacking has often suited them, and Chelsea's defence really did struggle against that movement and that speed of exchange of passes in the first leg as well. Obviously, it doesn't have to play out exactly the same way, but they only need really one or two chances, which they might be able to take one of, and suddenly that's a real uphill battle. Scoring three times at the Bernabeu is not going to be easy for Chelsea. I I think Chelsea might win, but maybe only by one. Yeah, I could see it ending up like 2-1 Chelsea or 3-2 Chelsea even. 
But I, I think like Chelsea are going to have to go from it, go for it from the off. And Thiago Silva against the counter attack, he's he's no, he's just not. He's not capable of doing it. Would you start um, start Lukaku? Apparently, he's not travelling. He's got an Achilles problem, ah. so he's not even with them. So no. So no. So. And that's the thing, you don't even have him as an option to throw on with 15, 20 to go and just sort of go balls to the wall and throw everything at them. Now, on the plus side for Chelsea, Timo Werner looked really good at the weekend, but Southampton's defence is not quite the Real Madrid defence. Like you, I think Chelsea could win the game, but I think Real will go through. I'd probably edge towards... A draw with Real obviously advancing then. But I think Chelsea will score over there. I just don't don't think they'll be able to keep Real out long enough to to open up a two goal lead. Um on to Wednesday then. And it's Atletico Madrid against Manchester City. City have the one nil lead from the first war or whatever it was. It wasn't a particularly enjoyable game of football. Uh, City have obviously had a tough game at the weekend. Atleti lost at the weekend and are starting to run the risk, Carl, of, of not even finishing in the top four in Spain. So currently they are three points ahead of Real Betis. They have the same goal difference. Um, this is my stat of the day. Atletico Madrid have the 11th best or 10th worst, depending on your point of view, defensive record in La Liga the worst defensive record of the top eight and then you have Celta Vigo Rayo Vallecano and Hetafe all with better defensive records at the weekend they lost to Mallorca who are 17th and were in the bottom three at the start of play were 18th at the start of play so that's a shocker of a defeat for them this is not a good season they're not a particularly good team. They can punish you in attack when things click for them. But if they try to open up against City, they'll get carved apart because that defence is not good enough. It, are we are we about to see the buses parked, the trenches dug, and let's hope for the best that we can sneak a goal? Yeah, I don't see any other way they can play it, to be honest, because they don't really try to dominate matches they're, they're they're more comfortable doing it than they were like four years ago or whatever but i wouldn't say that that's their biggest strength and i wouldn't say that that's their default approach either especially in a game like this i think that they are probably going to be quite intent to leave it to go to half time without any further goals and then look at set pieces look at annoying man city look at looking to make the most of a counter or a mistake or anything like that if they get you know a first half opportunity again off a set piece or a break down the channels, anything like that, then fine. But I doubt that they'll commit too many forwards to it. I think that this is a typical kind of. I think Simeone approaches it almost like a, a chess game that he's just got to stay in and not let the other team win first of all, or make sure his team doesn't lose it, and then later on you can worry about winning it. I think it is going to be a, a grind to watch this second half, uh, second leg again. Yeah, I mean, I expect City to get through, but it would be funny if Atletico got through. If they could just shithouse their way through and potentially set up an all-Madrid semi-final, that could be quite fun. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, they're just, they're a shell of what they once were. And uh, you'd also have to wonder if maybe, maybe this is the summer for Simeone to say, you know what, it, it's been incredible. Build me my statue, but it's time for me to go and do something else. Uh, there's another club out there that need to be need to be choloed. Um, especially if they miss out on top four this year. Well, um, I wonder whether I wonder whether he would be more or less likely to leave if they didn't get top four. To be honest, I don't know that he would. Well, he would go win the Europa League again. Right, there's that. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure that he would feel like it's okay to leave them outside the Champions League. And the big problem that they have is uh, four of the last five games are against top eight sides. Like mm. they've got to get wins in the next couple of home games: Espanyol and Granada, and then. Athletic away is never an easy game for Atletico. Athletic Atletico is always a really, really big grudge match and a, an absolute war, even if you take out the Simeone factor. They've got the derby against Real and then a game against Elche, who obviously, I'm not sure that they'll be quite struggling for to avoid relegation at that, at that point, but they might still be, so that'll be a difficult enough game. And then it's Sevilla, who should be fine in the top four by then, and Real Sociedad, who are... I don't think that they'll be quite there for the Champions League. I think it'd be Betis if anybody, but they'll still be trying to get a European spot. And again, mm. it's a really, really difficult game uh, on the road to finish up with. So not an easy run in for them whatsoever. No, no, not at all. Not at all. You could be right though. Maybe if they do miss out on four, he decides to stick about. If they get in, he might just say, look, I, I can do no more. Either way, they need to start looking at a, a bit of a serious rebuild because I think you could maybe keep Renan Lodi. The rest of that defence definitely needs to be replaced and they need some replacements in midfield. They will get Saul back, but whether or not they'll keep him or not, I don't know. Whether he'll want to stay there, I don't know. Maybe if Simeone is gone, he might get a new lease on life. I think working under Simeone for so long probably does wear players down um, because he's so demanding. It's different for Koke, who's the captain. Seoul did seem to lose a bit of the joy of playing football last season. Um, right, last game then is us. It is Liverpool versus Benfica at Anfield. Liverpool 3-1 up from the first leg. Obviously, we drew 2-2 with City at the weekend, whereas Benfica beat a club called B-Sad who, I mean, you know, maybe they just are. Um, Darwin Nunes bagged a hat-trick. He has now got 24 goals in 24 league games, 31 in 36 in all competitions. He scored in the first leg. I don't know about you. I thought he played well in the first leg. I thought he was the one player for them who really posed a threat, even though I thought Ibu did really well against him. He still skinned him once. He skinned Andy Robertson a couple of times. He will be the threat again, in my view, for this game. No question. Counters, running in the channels, holding the ball up. That's all the things that he does really, really well. Uh, obviously, he has a, a very good finishing touch on him as well. And from a Liverpool perspective, it, the big key is just not to give him any of those opportunities. And I agree with you, Kanata did really, really well, save for one abysmal error. And that error mm. was a costly one in terms of a goal. But take that out. I mean, he played well. Kanate played yeah. well. And you can't remove that from the overall performance. And that's absolutely fine to say you cannot do this on a regular basis. But also, it doesn't negate the entirety of the other 88 minutes or so. So 
take both of them into account. If he plays every week or on a more regular basis, is he likely to make that kind of error late, later on in the match where it's maybe a little bit of tiredness, maybe a little bit lack of rhythm, maybe a little bit you know, just inexperienced. He's still a young defender. I think there's not too much to worry about from that error in isolation. And it's something that obviously he just needs to cut out completely. Hmm. 100% agreed. But it's a, it's a simple error. He just gets his feet wrong. Like, that's that's something he can work on. And, and remember, he scored in the game as well. So the two things, in a way, cancel each other out. I think he'll be far more focused on the error he made than the goal he scored, which is a positive thing. And he'll work on that. But that's just a simple thing of getting your, you know, getting your fo- footwork right. Um, and I also wonder... The thing is, it's not just the goal. You don't mind them scoring... You don't mind the error so much. It's it's what the error leads to, not just the goal, but sort of the 10 minutes after that where the crowd really got, got up for it and they really got their tails up. And that seemed to skew a lot of people's view on how the midfield three had played because they were exceptional first half. <laughs> and then people came away saying, well, they couldn't control the game, which was just a bizarre take on things. Because... Anytime you go away to play a good team or even an average team, they're going to have 10 to 15 minutes where they look the better team. You're never going to outplay someone for the full 90. Yeah, I agree. Like I said, I've said that loads of times. You can't just expect to go away to, in a Champions League quarterfinal, regardless of if you're playing a Bayern or a Benfica or anyone in between, and just have the entire game your way. That's just not feasible. These are the top teams from their country, the top few teams in Europe for this year you know don't be so ridiculously obnoxious that you think that Liverpool should just have the 90 minutes and play the way they want to all the way through especially at these grounds where they have ludicrous atmospheres and wildly high expectations and a history of winning these people expect it and they transmit that in that way which affects the team as well so if we didn't want to uh if we didn't want to see the impact of what the crowd can do, obviously you don't give them an opportunity. That's why we always say about look, quiet the crowd down. You don't have to go win the game in the first five minutes, but take away their impetus, control the game, control the ball, control the territory, all of that kind of thing. That's what makes the crowd go down. If if you didn't have the crowd giving them that big uplift in the moments where they had uh, the opportunity and the advantage and the momentum in the match, then people wouldn't go to the game. That's what it's for. That's That's what the crowd are there for. That's the part that they play. Anfield as much as anywhere else. So, you know... You can't just ignore the fact that this all has an impact and from 15 minutes to 20 minutes, you're going to have to dig in and you're going to have to defend and you're going to have to play well in the other half of the pitch. And as I said uh, in the raw after the first leg, I don't think that the big issue was how the the midfield played in the second half in the slightest. I think it was the spaces that were between them that they passed through really quickly in the first half. It was not a big, big issue, but it was something that would be looked at for, for other games and other fixtures, for example. So... I wouldn't be surprised to see most of that midfield in place again. Maybe we'll see a change. Obviously, we've got a bit of a lead at the minute and we have the fact that we're at home this leg, so there there could be other changes, but I wouldn't have any kind of an issue if they were in place again. No, no, neither would I. I do think there'll be a couple of changes um, from the weekend, obviously. I think think Trent will... uh, Ali will start. I think Trent starts and Virgil starts. I think Kanate might come back in for this. I hope he does. Uh, Joel had a decent game at the weekend without question, but I think Kanate is more suited to dealing with Darwin than Joel is. 
And it wouldn't surprise me if Costas got the start at left-back to give Robbo a bit of a rest. Obviously, Trent had a few weeks out with an injury. Excuse me, with an injury. And I thought Robbo looked a little bit leggy against City, to be honest. I, I didn't think he had a particularly good game. I don't think he was great in the first leg either. And I wonder if maybe he might get a rest with City on the horizon at the weekend in the Cup semi-final. So, what's your view on the defence? I agree on Konate. I think he'll come back into this one. And I could go either way at left-back, to be honest. I mean, it's not done and dusted the game, so I would maybe be open to start Robertson. But if there's a you know a 1-0 lead for Liverpool at half-time or something like that, make the change then. But, you know, it's how they play and how, they, how they've how been training during the week and that if there was any kind of knocks heading into the Man City match, if they clear up in the meantime and all that kind of thing. I, I, I don't really have an issue with either one of them playing. The only thing I would say is that, obviously, Costas hasn't played a whole lot recently and it's not always ideal to come back into quite a big game. We have got a bit of a lead, yes, but we don't really have any room to, like, really seriously underperform or anything, so... No, True. He has to be in the right frame of mind. Um, looking then at the midfield. So I was initially thinking we might see something along the lines of Curtis, Fab and Naby as a midfield three, given Thiago played the 90 at the weekend and Naby only came on late. Curtis obviously didn't play. Um, Henderson did play, but the less said, the better. Fab didn't have a good game either, though, and I wonder if maybe he's starting to feel a little bit leggy in there, having to do so much defensive work to cover for the absent right-sided midfielder that has been in most games. Um, what way do you think Klopp goes in midfield for this one? I wonder whether it might be a Henderson-Jones-Cater. Henderson is the six, obviously, and then someone like maybe Fabinho is one of the first options off the bench for half an hour as needed, and uh, whoever else. Mm. Obviously, we've got the opportunity to make more subs in this game, so I would yeah. expect, unless unless the game goes ridiculously not to plan and they get themselves back into it, I would expect all five to be made and a couple of them quite early, to be honest, maybe even like a planned one at half-time because you've still got four changes then if anything else happens. Yeah, I mean, Henderson has played... He didn't play the first leg. He actually hasn't started any of the last three Champions League games. Um, was left out of both. It was dropped for the first one. Was left out of the second one. Left out of the first leg against Benfica. Um, so, yeah, maybe he does come in and start as the six with Jones and Kata. The only issue with that is they played so quickly through our midfield when they got themselves Gotham says a bit excited about how things were going. It will be a lot easier to play through a Henderson-Jones midfield than a Keita-Fabinho midfield on, on the right side. But yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if he did that, if he if he gave Fab the game all, or the, the, gave Fab a rest for the first hour and then brought him on for the last 30. Uh, I think Naby will definitely start, and I do think Curtis will start. I, I do think we'll see Curtis start in this one. Um, which I know won't go down well with some people, but you know, Klopp trusts him, and and that's all that really matters. Um, do you think 
we will see Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain start another game for Liverpool. Ooh. Yes. Because I saw someone suggest that this might be a game to start Ox in. Ox and Naby as the two eights because of Ox's pace and his power and his ability to carry the ball, that maybe it would be a game for him because Terrapt and Vagel aren't exactly the quickest and don't cover the pitch side to side all that well. Um, yeah, I can see that. I mean, I could equally see him start against Man United, to be perfectly honest, for many of the same reasons. Mm. Uh, I think other than... And their garbage. Yeah, I think other than Fred, there's not really anyone who can match Ox uh, or track his runs. And I mean, Matic had to come on and play because of a couple of injuries. So especially if someone like Matic is playing as their six, um, mobility is not going to be high up on their list of strengths for the game. So yeah, he could play in this one. I, I could feasibly see. It. I just struggle to see that he gets ahead of all the people who are ahead of him right at the moment. To be perfectly mm. honest, I think I think Jones is more likely to come in the Knox, but it's quite, yeah. So do I. So do I. I do think Curtis is, is probably higher in the pecking. Um, as long as it's not Milderson, we should be okay. As long as Milner doesn't start, we should be fine. If Milner starts, Henderson can't be in the team because the two of them together is just. It's the worst thing going. Um, up front, I think Bobby starts. I think Mane starts. I think Diaz starts. Mane right, Bobby through the middle, Diaz off the left. What say you? Yeah, I'd be fine with any of them, to be perfectly honest. I do think Firmino comes back in for this one. Diaz left. and I could see Jota or... Mane for the right hand side to be fair. Yeah, keep Mo keep Mo for City. Yeah. I, I really want Bobby to do well and put forward a case that he should start against City in, in the cup game. I wonder if he would have started yesterday if he hadn't missed the day's training. I wonder if maybe they just didn't think he was ready for ninety or for sixty five or whatever it would be. But um I think Bobby can be important in games like this because the ball will stick to Bobby a bit better. We saw it when Bobby came on in the away leg, we started to get a bit more control of the game back because he was able to drop into midfield, give us an extra number there. But also when we cleared the ball, Bobby was able to take it in and hold it up and give us a chance to get out. That where it was it Yeah, it was I mean it was bouncing back off Mane in the second half there in that first leg. So yeah, I mean Mane, Bobby Diaz, Jota, Bobby Diaz, whichever one, I think it'll be It'll be good. I think we'll win the game. I, I think they'll go largely the same team as they did the last day, although Trapped doesn't necessarily start regularly for them. What do they go with at the weekend? Um, no, Mario played as a 10 at the weekend. and they had, Ooh, he did. I, I wonder whether there's you know, an option to bring him back in. They did change like quite a lot of the team and made they started as well, so maybe he stays in, but Tarab played quite well apparently, so got a couple of assists. Yeah, and the, yeah, they ch- they changed a lot. They kept the keeper. They kept Otamendi. They kept Terrapt, Everton, and Darwin, and everything else. I think changed. Yeah, yeah, everything else changed. So can't really take too much from that. Nunez yeah. Nune getting a hat trick and then being subbed off on seventy is like ideal scenario. What we'd like to do? Yes, <laughs> <Man City. laughs> yes, a hundred percent. 
100%. Mane knocks in a hat-trick and then we just take him off and sit him on the bench for the rest of the game and bring on like Ox and leave Mo sitting on the bench as well. Um, right, let's get wrapped up. Give me your prediction. Um, I'm going to go for the same scoreline as the first leg, 3-1. I think they'll get something at some point to make them at least keep going, but you know, we've got too many good players, too many attacking options and a lot more quality overall, so I'll go for 3-1 again. I'll go for 2-0. I'll go for 2-0. I, 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 we'll, um, I think we'll win the game. I think if we score early, it might just put the, put the fight out of them and they might just look to, to regroup, but uh, I'll go 2-0. I think there's going to be a bit of a point to prove for a certain Mr. Van Dyke as well because the defence had a bit of a ropey one at the weekend. He was not part of the said ropiness, but I do think he'll want to uh, re-establish the level. And uh, I'll go 2-0. Right, that is us. Have you anything coming out? You uh, No, I think probably a Tuesday Champions League piece or in the aftermath of it but uh, apart from that usual stuff after the match and before the weekend. There we go. Follow Carl on Twitter at Carl Matchett. Read his work on The Independent. Uh, follow Guy Drinkle at Guy Drinkle and listen to the Two-Footed Pod every day at 4pm and the Daily Red at lunchtime. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.